Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30, called The King's Invitation. We are in Matthew 11. The King's Invitation is the text. Let's open our Bibles there, if you would. If you're new to us, we're moving verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of the Kingdom is what we've entitled it. And we're at a beautiful section where Jesus gives a very touching invitation to come to him. So why don't you, uh, once you have the text, if you're able to stand with us, why don't you stand to your feet for the reading of the Word of God, Matthew 11, picking it up at verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things, Matthew eleven twenty seven, have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, in honor of this text, you can have a seat, because I want to take the burden off of you (laughs) while I pray. And while I pray, would you join me in prayer? To our mighty King, our beloved Messiah, our Savior, thank you that you are my King, our King, and you came down, Lord, and as you preached in various cities, you invited people to come, just as they were with all the burdens and weights and exhaustions that life throws our way, and especially sometimes religious pressure that we face. And you invited the people simply to come, to come to you, to bring their burdens, to bring their struggles, and to lay them at your feet. And they could exchange their yoke for yours, which is a yoke that is easy and light, Your commandments are not burdensome, Lord, and there's been so much man-made religion that's put unnecessary yokes on people's shoulders, on their souls indeed, and we want to be people who are truly free in Christ. We want to balance that by knowing that this is not about easy believism or cheap grace. There is an expectation to live for the glory of God, but We do it by the power of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So today, Lord, as we look at this beautiful invitation to all, anyone who would want to come, anyone who would hear your voice can come. And as believers, we can keep coming. Sometimes, honestly, Lord, we try to lay burdens at your feet and we take them back and then we lay them down. And 
I think in a fresh way, we can also hear this invitation for the believer to know that God daily bears our burden. And it's, an, it's a remarkable thing to know who you are, Lord, and that you invite your people to lay their burdens at your feet. Give them to me, you say. And that is an amazing love that you have for your people. And so I pray that whatever you want to speak today would come out, Lord, that you be pleased in the way the scriptures are both taught and acted upon for your glory. In Jesus' name, if you agree, would you say, amen. Amen. The king's invitation. So in verse 25, it reads this way in the New King James Version. At that time, and we'll talk about the time, uh, the timing in a moment, Jesus answered. The, the New King James actually says he answered. And what he answered is a dilemma about the cities that he had just reproached. If you look back in the context just for a second, Jesus in verse 20 of Matthew 11 began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done. Notice, because they did not repent. He said, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, that's a, those are uh, Gentile nations to the north of Galilee, which occurred in you, if, if they had occurred there, they would have repented long ago in the garments of repentance, sackcloth, and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable. There we have levels of judgment based upon accountability for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now, Jesus at that time began a prayer, and this is the first recorded prayer in the Gospel of Matthew that we have in terms of what Jesus said to his Father. Earlier in Matthew 6, he taught the disciples how to pray, the Lord's Prayer, if you will. But here we have an insight into Jesus's prayer. And right after he reproached those cities for their unbelief and unrepentance, his prayer went this way. I thank you or praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide or conceal these things from the wise and intelligent, the learned, if you will, and did reveal them to babes or to infants or to children. Now, this particular idea of Jesus revealing and concealing truth has uh, given birth to a lot of different what you might call theological perspectives. And one theological perspective would be more in the Reformed camp, and that would be under the guise of Calvinism or Reformed theology. And basically how this goes is that the only people who respond to the gospel have been sovereignly chosen by God ahead of time. And so those are the ones to whom God reveals himself and he conceals himself to others. But I will tell you, I don't hold that view, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. In the context, the concealing of the gospel is to the wise and intelligent, in quotes. You might want to mark that in your Bible. And we're going to ask the question, who are they? Because they're not getting the truth, but the others, the infants or the babes, are. Just for sake of just getting right to the point, 
the wise and intelligent in this setting, if I were to ask you to answer the test question, I think most of you could answer it. The wise and intelligent are the religious leaders of the day who are opposing Jesus at every turn. Later in a parable, he will indicate that they know who he is and they will not come to him. They think they are wise. Romans one twenty two, a good cross-reference. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image made in the form of corruptible mankind and animals, etc. You can go back and read Romans chapter 1. So these are some things I want you to think about. Why would Jesus pronounce woes on unrepentant cities if this is all predetermined and you have no, there's no free will in any of this. Why pronounce woes for a lack of repentance? The words almost become, frankly, meaningless. Why would you pronounce woes on people who have no choice to repent? And why would you talk about levels of accountability? It'll be more tolerable for this group than for that group if there's no human responsibility whatsoever in the salvation equation. Amen? Now, I will tell you there's good people on both sides of this, good scholars on both sides, who would disagree on how how all of this works. And there is a bit of a mystery in some of this as we read our Bibles, right? We see God's sovereignty. We see words like election and predestination. And then we see, you know, verses about man's free will, called to repent, called to believe, called to turn from sin. How do we make sense of it? There's, there's one particular view that might satisfy at least some of you, and that is that God is the, always the aggressor in the equation. None of us are coming unless the gospel gets preached and the Holy Spirit moves through gospel preaching, or God shows up in a dream or however he wants to reach you, but he's reaching out, but you have to respond. So while I would say God, I believe, is the aggressor in the equation, still the response from you and me is real. Let's not forget that at the very end of this text, there's a real invitation given. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. How do you qualify as the audience? All you have to be is exhausted and weary and heavy laden. Anybody want to raise up your hand to that one? All right, you qualify. What would keep a certain group away is defined as the wise and intelligent. That is, as O'Donnell puts it in his commentary, if pride is your mother, God cannot be your father. Pride will keep you from the kingdom of God. Now, when Jesus reproached his adopted home city, that would be Capernaum, look at verse 23, He said, you will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. Now, Jesus picked up a prophecy written to the king of Babylon in Isaiah chapter 14. And I think it's worth turning in your Bibles. We'll put the scripture up on the screen. Uh, But Isaiah chapter 14. Now, in the immediate context, the king of Babylon is being addressed. You can think of Nebuchadnezzar, his pride up on his balcony, look at the great Babylon that I have built, look what I have done, and you know what God did to old Nebi K. Netzer, if you're a VeggieTales fan? He humbled him. It would appear for seven years, he, he acted like an animal, he was nuts, he was crazy.
crazy. His hair grew out like he was a lead guitarist for an old 70s rock and roll band. I mean, it was crazy. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about a very special event that we're hosting at the church where I serve as senior pastor. It's called Living Truth Christian Fellowship right here in the city of Corona. It's the Dare to Defend Apologetics Conference. I'll tell you, some of the top apologetic speakers in the Christian world. This is Lenny Esposito. Now, this conference is designed to specifically tackle our sex-saturated culture and provide answers to the challenges believers face today. Subjects that fill today's headlines like How do we combat the transgender movement that's increasingly endangering our kids? What is critical theory and is it compatible with faith? Now, we'll also tackle really specific church issues such as the battle for the biblical Adam and Eve, the war against the family and how our relationships are being undermined. We'll also deal with how our culture is losing its grip on knowledge as real. Why don't you check it out today? Go to walkintruth.com. Look for that link at the top of our site, walkintruth.com. And you can link right there, sign up, bring some friends, and grow in your most holy faith. God bless you. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. It would appear for seven years. He, he acted like an animal. He was nuts. He was crazy. His hair grew out like he was a lead guitarist for an old 70s rock and roll band. I mean, it was crazy. And so here's the prophecy, and this is directly what Jesus seems to be alluding to. Notice, he's addressing the king on a sub-level. Many see Satan or Lucifer behind the prophecy. Your pomp, Isaiah 14, 11, and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Think of Jesus' words in Matthew 11. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you, and worms are your covering. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, sun of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, the famous five I wills. I will raise up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Now, there are many who believe that Satan is behind the king of Babylon. Sometimes when you read prophecy in your Bible, there's a, an immediate recipient of the prophecy and then a kind of a sub-level of the prophecy. Not everybody agrees, but many see Satan himself behind the words given to the king of Babylon because of some of the language here. You can also write down Ezekiel 28, another prophecy many see towards uh, Lucifer. Now, I want you to turn to Luke 10. In Luke 10, there's a parallel passage. Luke sets Jesus' prayer after the return of the 70 that go out preaching. Matthew has it after the 12 go out, and Jesus has been preaching in the various cities. You want Luke chapter 10. And so I'm going to show you the parallel, and I want you to see an interesting context that kind of links to the idea of Satan's pride. Take a look. Luke 10, look at verse 17. The 70 return with joy. And I would just say to you, if you're wondering about Matthew and uh, Luke's timing, it's probably more a thematic uh, timing here. 
The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Now, that phrase, well-pleasing, is in Jesus' prayer. It was well-pleasing to you to do things this way. Let's return to Matthew chapter 11, and let me make a few comments that I hope will bring some illumination. The mindset of the religious leadership of the day towards the apostles was that they were unschooled, unlearned men. They didn't go to the right schools. They, did, they weren't under the right rabbi. They didn't study in Jerusalem, etc. And they basically said, they're, they're from Galilee. They're fishermen. What do they know? But they had the greatest seminary training that one could ever have, three and a half years with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's a pretty good education, wouldn't you say? And even in Acts chapter 4, they had taken note that these guys had been with Jesus, even though they knew they didn't have all the regular diplomas or degrees, if you will. The Pharisees looked down their nose at the apostles. They said they're like little infants. They don't know anything. We are the learned ones. We're the wise and intelligent ones. And what disqualified them from kingdom truth was one word, pride. If pride is your mother, God cannot be your father. Now, in a modern sense, we might say it this way. Someone thinks they're so smart, right? They're, they're on a website, and they think they've got the arguments that are going to put you know, Christianity off to the side forever. And by the way, they've been trying the same arguments for 2,000 years. And while it's reasonable to wrestle with some of the arguments that people think they're so smart, they're going to live, they're going to die, and then the next group of them will come along, and God has no problem dealing with them. In Jesus' time, the wise and intelligent and prideful were the religious leaders of the day, and they were simply closed off to the truth of the Messiah. I will say, though, and, and many of you know this, that Nicodemus did come and others did come. There were some of them that did repent and trust in Christ. So it wasn't all of them. But those who even knew who he was in a later parable, this is the heir, let us kill him. Jesus is basically saying, you know who I am. And even after Jesus raised from the dead, as he promised, they had to pay off the guards to say the disciples stole the body. They were unwilling to repent. And I believe that one way to make sense of Jesus' words here is to see that those who will not repent will not get the revelation. The truth will not come to them because they won't believe it. If you flip over to Matthew 13, you look at the parable, the famous parable of the sower. Jesus says these very words. He's dealing with the proud and the religious leadership and why he speaks in parables. This is ahead of us, but just take a peek. In their case, Matthew 13, 14, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. 
For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, let's say, here's the infants, spiritually speaking, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. If you look at verse 18, Jesus then explains the parable of the sower. And one thing that we do know, one of the uh, images that Jesus draws in this parable, he says the seed is the gospel or the kingdom message of the Messiah, and the ground or the soil is the heart of men and women. And the seed gets thrown out on various soils, right? And one of the soils is a hard-packed soil, and that seed doesn't penetrate that hard heart, so it just sits there. And what happens? The bird comes along and picks it off. And the birds represent Satan, who has a role in this. His pride got him booted out of heaven, and he loves to feed on the pride of unbelief. Here's how it works. I don't want to listen to that. Someone sits in a memorial service, a church service. I don't want to hear it. They close off their heart, and Satan comes, flies by, if you will, and snags what could have been planted in their heart. Satan has a role. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, if you're taking notes, he blinds, the God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers. But it doesn't mean that unbelievers don't have a part in that. There's spiritual uh, dimensions to this, of course. But here's the point. Pride keeps the seed from going in and then Satan picks it off, if you will. So there are, there are different ways to see the angles of how salvation works and how you know, God speaks to people. You've been listening to The King's Invitation, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. You can email Pastor Michael with your questions you may have from his teaching today, or maybe you have a question about something else, or need encouragement or prayer. Maybe you'd like to share how Pastor Michael's teachings have affected you. You can email Pastor Michael at contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. And thanks for reaching out. You can also find our mailing address on walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael with the final word. Well, you hear Jesus's blessed invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And sometimes, you know, we get into the local church. I remember some years ago, I taught a new believers class and we circled up. There's about 20, 25 people and we were holding hands. And I said, hey, if you don't want to pray, if you're not comfortable in praying out loud, squeeze the hand of the person next to you. And that'll be an indication that you're not going to pray and they need to pray. And inevitably what would happen is people would be squeezing <laughs> one after another and would go, and go all the way back to me. You know, people were fearful that they needed to pray in King James English, you know, or God won't hear you, or, you know, people are going to judge my prayers. Or maybe you've gone to a Bible study and they say, turn to this book. And you're like, where is that book? And it's embarrassing because you're like, I, I don't know as much as these, these people are all scholars around the table. And I'm, you know, I can barely quote John three sixteen. What do I do now? Look, everybody starts somewhere. And genuine believers will not mock you for not knowing your Bible if you're new. 
they'll encourage you. You need to be around other believers. I remember sitting in churches in my 20s. I was fairly new to the Bible. And there were times when the pastor would say, turn to this book as a cross-reference. And I had to work. And I memorized the books of the Bible in a, in a class because I wanted to know my Bible. I mean, if the Bible is the Word of God, then we want to know it. So don't let embarrassment or potential, you know, whatever people might think uh, to keep you. Get into a small group Bible study. There's men's and women's Bible studies, home Bible studies everywhere, man. You can find one and you can connect and you can get community and grow in your faith. Hey, again, we always want to say if we can help you in any way, reach out to us, walkintruth.com walkintruth.com. You can send us a message. You can let us know how the ministry's blessed you. We pray it has. You can partner with us. We do need monthly partners. We've just added a radio station. I want to just shout out to our friends in San Diego. We're happy to be back at 5 a.m. every day, but we could use more partners. You know, some people stepped up and got us on the San Diego station. You know, the old saying, the gospel's free, but someone's got to put in the plumbing. So, If you want to help out, and we pray that you will become a monthly partner, walkintruth.com. Click on that Donate tab. Do it today, walkintruth.com. See you tomorrow. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 11, 25 through 30, called The King's Invitation. If you've grown up in a certain system where man-made rules were added to the Word of God, and today they're all over the landscape, Brothers and sisters, think this way. Yes, there are atheists and agnostics and they're out there, but many, many people are under the yoke of religious man-made legalism. I'm Mike Massaro on behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.